Hey everybody, welcome to Braving the Journey. I'm your host, Zach Mathers. Hey, I'm excited for today's episode with Jill from Sober Powered Podcast and Sober Powered. You can find her everywhere with just Sober Sober Powered. So go check her out. But before we dive into this podcast, I want to let you guys know something really quick. If you are somebody that keeps promising yourself that you're going to stop drinking and you can't, you just can't. Or if you're someone that says, I'm going to moderate, and, and yet that moderation only lasts for a couple weeks, and then you're kind of right back to how much you're drinking. Or if you're someone that every time you drink, it just causes havoc in your life or emotionally or physically. You're not alone in that. But what I want to tell you is that there's hope. So go to bravingthejourney.com. On bravingthejourney.com, you can schedule a 45-minute free coaching consultation with myself. That's where you and I sit down. We evaluate going, hey, where are you at with things in life? What's going on? And then how do we set up a game plan to help you? Because I can promise you this. There are some certain things that I can do with you that is going to help change your mindset. It's going to help you refocus your thoughts and what you believe about drinking. And it's going to help being sober a lot, lot easier. Now, you're still going to have to want it. But the truth is, is you weren't designed to go through life alone. And you weren't designed to have to figure this out on your own. There's a lot of things that I have to show and teach you about staying sober and enjoying sobriety. Because it is such an amazing thing when you find joy in the life that you are living alcohol-free. So go to bravingthejourney.com, check it out. But let's dive into this podcast. Here we go. Well, everybody, welcome back to Braving the Journey. I have Jill, who is a biochemist by day, uh, sober powered podcast host and just an influence in the sober culture um by night basically and so i just want to say jill thank you for taking the time to be on the show and come on and share with us your story and yeah just thanks for being here yeah thanks for having me and and what a cool intro <laughs> hey thanks it worked it worked You're, you you are though <laughs> like i was like looking through all of your different stuff and i was just like oh, she has so much you have like so much knowledge that I'm excited to kind of just glean from you and learn and for my listeners to get to hear just around um, sobriety because, you know, my story, I grew up in like, I didn't grow up in, but like when I chose to kind of step into recovery or sobriety, I, only thing I knew was AA. Like you go to Mm -hmm. AA, you do that. And and then all of a sudden you start kind of opening your eyes and you're like, wait, there's a lot more. Uh, And there's a lot more to learn than just, is offered within the rooms of A and the 12 steps, which are amazing in their own nature, but they're their own thing. And so, um, yeah, so it's, it's fun for me to get to kind of hear other people's approach and perspective. And, um, yeah, I'm excited, like just even for you to share a lot with us, like the, how our brain chemistry works and like what, what it is when we put alcohol inside of our system, what, what our brain is doing and why and all that stuff. So before we dive into all that, though, I want to hear your story. I want to hear, I want to hear from you. I want I want to hear your personal like, hey, this is this is my story with alcohol. Yeah, so it took a long time for me to actually try it. Um, I was I was bullied for all of middle and high school, so I never went to parties or had the opportunity really. So it was, it was protective in a way. Yeah. And then when I went to college, I was kind of weird about socializing. Like I wasn't sure if people were gonna continue to be mean to me or embrace me. So I didn't go to parties. Um, and I went to school for chemistry. So I was, I was like pretty busy with that. And I was mainly focused on like 
being thin. That was my my main goal. Like I wanted to get a good job and make a lot of money, but number one goal was like thin. Okay. (laughs) Whatever that means. Yeah, whatever that meant in, in your mind at that time, right? Yeah, right. And I knew that alcohol and being thin did not mix. So I just never tried it. And it wasn't until I started graduate school when I was 22 that I finally tried alcohol. And that was because just in the whole science culture, everybody drinks. Everybody parties. People drink at work. Um, The professors used to drink with the students at school. People would have alcohol on their desk. And we would go to bars after Um, I call it work because you go to class and then you do research in the lab. So it's really, it's a full-time job. So we'd go to bars for dinner every night and everyone was drinking. And I wanted so desperately for people to like me and Mm -hmm. include me in the group. So I just started ordering like, oh, I'll have what she's having. Now, do you think in the scientific, like, or in that, that culture that everyone was drinking just because like, there's so much added stress, like you had the school and the lab research and you're constantly on that, 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 that just became their, like, this is our space that we believe we can de-stress from this, I guess. Or what, yeah, I mean, what, exactly. what, yeah what, what was it? Do you think, yeah, cause it seems like an interesting culture to me that you were like, oh, drinking was everywhere. And I'm like, huh, I just wouldn't put it there. So, yeah. Yeah, that was what I learned. Um, so I learned a lot about drinking from that year. That After that, I um, I stopped going to grad school and I became a teacher. But during that year, I learned that when you're stressed out, you have a drink. And that's what everybody did. Yeah. And I was stressed out all the time. So I had a lot of drinks. Yeah, and so you're trying, you're trying to fit in. You know, you're trying <laughs> to be accepted. And you're trying to believe that if... I'm stressed out. I drink because that's what everybody else is doing. So, okay. Keep going yeah. with your story. Keep going with your story. <laughs> I, I, sorry, I'm, I only interrupted, but keep going. So, right from the start, as soon as I got my first real buzz, I was like, wow, this is seriously the best thing ever. I can't yeah. believe I waited so long to have this. And I had no control. I had no ability to like choose how much I drank. I just drank until there was no more alcohol left. It was time for bed or I got sick. Um, Unfortunately, right from the start, the very first time that I got sick from alcohol, which was very early in my drinking days, was on a first date. It was so embarrassing. Um, Was there a second date after this one or no? Yeah, there was. (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. I don't know how. Okay. (laughs) Um, and then, yeah, over the years I became a daily drinker pretty quick, less than a year in. And then the following year, my tolerance doubled Mm. and I noticed that I was like, wow, I, I'm drinking a lot of alcohol. I don't know if it's good to drink this much alcohol every day. And that was the first time I had a thought like, maybe I should do something about this. And my solution was like, okay, I'll just moderate. And I used to research how to moderate your drinking. Okay. And I'd come up with strategies and, and I'd send my husband articles <laughs> about like different strategies or why wine is good for you to drink every day. And it was ridiculous. And I never moderated. 
but I believed so deeply that I would figure it out. Yeah, like and you I could can break, kind of break the code and be like, "This is this works." Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no one figured it out since the beginning of of time, thousands of years ago when we started drinking. Yeah. But I will figure it out. I right. got this. Yeah. So in this, um, when you say a couple of years in, you're drinking every day, and you re- like you had this awareness, like, "Wow, I'm, I think I'm drinking." Like your tolerance increased, so your drink increased. How much were you like for you? Like what what was the amount that you were kind of drinking on a daily. Yeah. So when I noticed that my tolerance increased, it was my second year as a teacher and it was by far the most stressful job I've ever had in my life. I had 30 students and I think maybe a third of the class had special needs and five of those students had very significant special needs and I had no training. I didn't know how to help them. And it was a private school and the parents didn't have to disclose what their needs were. Mm. And we had no special needs teacher. So I'm just like trying to figure out how to help these poor kids, but I don't know what they need. And I used to walk in the door and I'd be like, Hey honey, on my way to the kitchen, And I would make this ridiculous drink. It was a pint glass. And I would fill it up with um, like $20 vodka that I bought. (laughs) Cheapest one. I would fill it up probably two-thirds of the way with vodka. And then I would add just a ton of triple sec in that. And like a splash of diet cranberry. And it was a Cosmo. I was just drinking a Cosmo. Yeah. Yeah. And it was probably like three or four drinks in one drink. And then I started having two every night. And that's when I thought like, I shouldn't do that. (laughs) Yeah. No. Oh man. Yeah. The, the stress of teacher, sorry, I'm going to tangent off that, but yeah, I commend teachers. Honestly, my, my sister and my father-in-law are both teachers. My father is a special ed teacher. And honestly, the work they do, I'm like, you guys, that's crazy how hard it is, especially with COVID right now. I'm like, it's just insane. So anyways, side note, just props to all the teachers out there because it's it's insane how difficult your job has become lately. Uh, but yeah, so okay, you realize you're drinking too much. Did your husband, was he ever like a struggle with the drinking, supported you when you wanted to stop? What was, what was your guys' relationship kind of in that? So he's a normal drinker. He has yeah. full control over how much he drinks. Um, he was drinking a lot with me because... He lived with a problem drinker who wanted to drink every day. So we drank a lot together and he always seemed to be able to switch to water and I never did. And I always got sick or miserably hungover and he never did. And I was so mad at him for that. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, wait, you could like, he's one of those people that you kind of say, you're like, wait, your drink's still half full. Like, are you going to leave it there? You know, like, <laughs> like we just don't leave it a drink, you know, like we, we're going to finish that. Right. And like, they're like, they can leave it. They can walk away and be like, no, nah, I'm okay. Like, you know, so what in your, okay. I want to hear, cause you just said this like normal drinker. Um, mm-hmm. What, what do you believe? What is your belief about this? Like uh, a normal drinker versus someone that's not a normal drinker. What does that mean to you? Um, and how do you define that or what, you know, like what, even what's going on in the head? Like take me into this world of like, 
understanding of this. So I know that most people think because alcohol is addictive that anyone can become addicted to it, but I do not believe that. Um, and that's okay if any listeners, if you disagree with me. Yeah, um, this, is a, this is a space where we have opinions and you know, no one's going to be able to tell you that they disagree. So it's perfect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there are other things that are addictive, like food is addictive, um, gambling is addictive, sex, and not everybody has a problem with those things. I think for some of us, alcohol is just so amazing and it feels better for problem drinkers than it does for someone like my husband. My husband has a drink and he's like, this is cool. This is nice. And I have a drink and it's like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> this is it. This is the best thing in the world. Nothing's better. And um, problem drinkers have no ability to stop or um, like control their, themselves in any way. I think really the the main thing about a problem drinker is the obsession and thinking about alcohol and your drinking all the time when you're not drinking. I asked my husband this. I'm like, did you ever think about like if you did something wrong or you embarrass yourself, did you ever think about that and feel bad about it and and just feel like ashamed or did you regret how much you drank if you're feeling hungover? And he said, never. He never thinks about it. He might wake up the next morning and be like, ooh, I wish I didn't do that thing. And then yeah. he moves on with his life. And someone like me, I spiral into shame for like all eternity thinking about whatever that thing is. Yeah. But then I keep doing the same behavior. Yeah, like you don't change it. You just move to shame. And then I, I always call it the shame cycle. Then like, because we're in yep. shame, you know what's going to help fix that is alcohol. So you kind of drink to take away the shame, but then it adds more shame and you just, you're stuck. You're in, a, you're in a shame cycle. So Exactly. So, so you believe that alcohol, even though it's an addictive substance, not everyone is going to have the same effects of addiction to it. It's, so it's more the chemistry in our brains that causes the addiction. Yeah, so there's yeah, there's a genetic component to it. It doesn't mean that if you have a problem with alcohol, then your genetics are involved. It's it's thought to be 50-50. So half of it might be coming from your genetics, half might be coming from your life experiences. But the half that comes from genetics, it's all different genes. And I think the easiest one to understand is the enzymes that process alcohol. And not everybody has exactly the same enzymes that work in the same way. We have different variants. Even though they do the same thing, They one might be better than someone else's. So for a problem drinker, it's more likely that we have very efficient enzymes for processing alcohol. So when we drink, it's broken down and we get rid of it, and we feel great while we drink. But my husband, he feels like crap when he drinks, and that's why now that I don't drink, he barely drinks. And right. um, so as he's drinking, like his body is slower at getting rid of it, so the like intermediates in the process build up, and they make him feel terrible. That's what the um, like the Asian glow is, is that they have 
um, they have a variant in one of their enzymes that doesn't work very well. So when they drink, they get a buildup of this compound mm. that makes them feel sick. So if that's you, you're probably not going to become a problem drinker. If you feel terrible every time you drink, it's just unlikely that you will drink to the amount that you know we drank right. because you feel bad. So why would you do something that makes you feel bad? Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't like match up with the chemistry inside of you. So you're like, mm, that's not for me. I heard it. So someone, I want to say this in the most layman's terms possible because I don't know any scientific ways of saying it. But someone explained it to me like this: like you have like a normal drinker and kind of a problem drinker's brains. Like if you pictured like two different kinds of rocks, and like the normal drinker brain is kind of like a really hard rock. That like if we pour the same amount, like you took a hose and you just poured water over it forever, it's never actually going to groove out. It's just going to kind of pour over and be the same. Where if you take a problem drinker and you start pouring the hose over that one, it's going to make a groove quickly inside that the softer rock. So therefore, it becomes a, it becomes like the pathway that it goes boom. This is where it goes all the time. And so alcohol kind of can do the same thing with our brains that one person is just going to kind of glide over in essence, like oh yeah. It doesn't affect me in that way. Where a problem drinker, you put the alcohol and the chemistry in the brain, all of a sudden it makes these quick neuro pathways, and, you know, back and forth because this is the path that you got to take and this works and this is how it's going to go. And so it kind of creates that soft rock groove, I guess you would say. Yeah, that, I like that. Yeah, I haven't heard like, that before. Someone said it to me once like that. I was like, and I think there was a video. So there's literally a guy like holding a hose over like a hard <laughs> rock and a soft rock and like such the layman's term. I was like, that makes sense. Like, you know, where like you see erosion happen, like some rocks, erosion happens quickly and others it doesn't. And his point to case was like, neither are bad. They're just different. And so, and we don't have control over either what we have, like what happens inside that. We have control of what we, the substance we choose to put there, but like how our bodies react per se, we, we don't. So what, um, okay. So talk to me, you, you're, we kind of backed up. We, or we were all over the place, but you, you were doing your, you know, heavy cosmopolitans, um, and then you were having this conversation of going, okay, I'm going to figure out how to moderate. That's not working. Uh, when, when did you finally be able to say, okay, I'm, I'm done with this. And what did that look like? Were you able to just stop, um, to take a while? I mean, yeah, fill me in on that. That once we got to this, okay, I'm sober now. Yeah, it took a while, unfortunately. I um, One of my moderation strategies was actually to quit teaching because yeah. I blamed teaching for the amount that I drank. So that's why now um, I work as a biochemist. I thought that would help. It didn't okay. help. Um, but then maybe three years after the Cosmos, I started questioning a little more heavily. And I was like, am I an alcoholic? Like, how do you know if you are? Yeah. And I didn't do anything about it. Like, I, I was like, no, I'm probably not, you know, I'm not like me. No. And then, you know, maybe two years later after that, I started having some mental health issues from my drinking. So I developed anxiety and depression, which is something that I just have always had, that turned into suicidal thoughts. So I would get drunk and then I would jolt awake at 3 a.m. and have 
like massive anxiety, trying not to panic. And I would also be thinking about how I'm literally the worst person that's ever existed. I'm a loser. I should, you know, set my husband free. Uh, No one would care. Like I had all these terrible thoughts. And the realization that drunk Jill could do something about that was enough to get me to finally embrace that I cannot moderate. But it took five years of never moderating to finally say like, yeah, I'm probably not going to figure it out. Yeah. But five years, like painfully five years, like the, I, I was, my, my recovery is like similar. Like I went out to treat outpatient treatment programs. I did AA. I did all these things, but I kept relapsing. I kept mm-hmm. like, I stopped for a while, but like, I don't think fully in my head I was ever really able to say like, well, yeah, I can't really ever drink again because in my head, maybe there was this idea that, Oh, I can, maybe I can moderate now. Maybe I could do it now. Maybe I could do, you know, and it, it's exhausting to live in that space where you promise yourself. Like when you wake up in the morning and you say, I promise I'm not going to drink today. And then you do. And then you're full of sh- that shame and that guilt. And it, it's, it's, it's a place that I literally am like, I mean, that's why I think both of us do our work. We do. It's like, we, Mm -hmm. I'm just like, man, I don't want to see people live in that space, you know, for as long as I had to, because it's miserable. So what, how did you stop then? So you, you know, you had those, you know, years of telling yourself you're going to moderate, which never really did, but you were probably turmoil inside your head, trying to tell yourself you were going to. And then, then you decided how, how did you come to the space of being like, I'm, I'm not going to drink anymore? So it started with a challenge. I said, I'm not going to drink for 90 days. Okay. I don't know why I said 90, but it just, that's what came out of my mouth. And I said it to my husband after a really bad night. And I am very motivated by being challenged, even if it's from myself. And I did the 90 days and I was like, I'm going to moderate after this. That's enough time. I don't know why I thought it was enough time. And I'm going to be cured. I can drink again. Everything's going to be perfect. And I actually started drinking again. Day 91 happened to be my 29th birthday. So I was like, this is a sign from the universe that I'm making the right decision. (laughs) And... I moderated for two months and then we went on a cruise with the drink package. And I said, I'm on vacation. I can do whatever I want. That's what you're supposed to do. And then when I get home, I'll moderate again. Mm. And by moderating, I mean, I was literally having two drinks a week. Yeah, you were back. No drinks. Okay, okay. And when I got home from that cruise, I was right back to my old self there was no like slow descent it was just a switch and I suffered for four more months and all the anxiety and suicidal thoughts came back and then because I had that experience and I knew that 90 days wasn't enough time to change anything that's how I finally decided like 50 years won't be enough time, you know? Mm. And if I didn't have that experience, I don't think I would have been as successful. Yeah. No, I think that, I think there's some really powerful in that fact that you had, I mean, even the 90 days, 
you got to experience what it was like, like this short experience of like, mm-hmm. okay, this is what it could be like sober. And then going back to it and realizing I, I don't want this, you know, I think everyone's path to everyone's like journey to getting sober looks so different because, you know, as much as I wish we could all just say we could learn from each other's like, and we can, we can, we can glean knowledge, but sometimes we have, like, sometimes you do, you have to experience it for yourself to be like, wow, I really want to stay sober. You know, I really want this. Um, talk to me about what you, I mean, like there was a lot of things that you kind of just said in there, like 29th birthday, celebrate, go on a cruise. You deserve this. Like all these things. What are, what is your belief about alcohol and the beliefs that we have around it, I guess? I think those are one of the main reasons that it's so hard to stop. Um, in psychology, they're called positive alcohol expectancies, if anyone wants to research it. So it's basically, what are the good things that you think alcohol does for your life? And mm. for me, mine were alcohol reduces stress. Alcohol makes my life fun and happy. And, you know, it's essential for vacations, celebrations, stuff like that. And because of that, I was like, how can I never drink again? I'm just going to live my life. Like, I'll never celebrate anything again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna have a boring life now. I'm never going to have fun. And those thoughts motivated me to keep going and, like, trying to figure out moderation for years after it was very clear it wasn't happening for me. And another big one is, like, people with anxiety. Like, alcohol helps my anxiety. And they really believe that and they see even when they stop drinking, they might have increased anxiety, which just further cements that belief. And they just keep you stuck for so long because you think alcohol is wonderful. Yeah, it's crazy. Like I, I more and more I get to work with people in this field and discover it. I'm like, it's so crazy how much our culture tells us that, you know, to to have a celebration has to have alcohol to have this it has to you know like and there's so much of it that i'm like i i had to work through it myself like you know when my first son my son was born he's 12 now the men in my life bought a bottle of scotch to the to the hospital all signed the bottle and the idea was like when he turns a man and comes to me and says, this is the person I'm going to marry dad. We were going to open it up and sit down and have a good heart to heart talk with it. And so I had to like mourn that I wasn't going to get that for some reason. When in reality, it has nothing to do with the scotch, right? Like I still can have to sit down and talk to talk. I can still have the moment. I can still make it impactful. I can still have all that, you know, but for some reason, the culture told me that it has to be centered around, the, the scotch like we could open up a coke and probably have the same experience, <laughs> experience you know like we can but for some reason we think we can't and yeah it's almost like we have to reverse engineer what we believe about alcohol for it to to really work you know to stay sober so yeah i think it's crazy you talk a lot about how, like you have an ebook out that's like why you think alcohol helps relax so talk, did tell us more about that, like in, inside our minds, what is happening? Like, so with that belief, we can see where it comes from, right? Like you had it as a teacher, you're like, oh, I need this to relax. 
you know, we, we all have those moments where we think, oh, I, I deserve it. And life is so stressful. I'm super anxious all the time. So this is going to help me. So there's the, there's the, the belief we have, but really what's going on inside of our brains. That so alcohol slows down our brain activity and what the brain will do because it wants to maintain a balance at all times is it's going to increase the amount of excitable neurotransmitters in the brain. So it's going to try to speed you back up to counteract alcohol. And as you abuse alcohol and your brain learns, like this is a normal thing that's going to be here all the time, then those kinds of changes cause anxiety. So you have all of this excitability in your brain that when you drink, it's kind of just bringing you down to normal. This is another like type of tolerance. Like it relieves your anxiety, but it never relieves it that good. You know, two months from now, six months from now, you always seem to need more. That's right. why. And when like 3 a.m., when the alcohol wears off, it's not slowing down your brain activity anymore, but you have this huge boost of excitable neurotransmitters. So now your brain activity is way faster than it should be. And that's what feels like anxiety. And hmm. that's also why people who are very, very heavy drinkers, when they suddenly stop, they're at risk for seizures. It's because that burst is very strong for them. And the and too much of those like excitable neurotransmitters can cause seizures. Hmm. Crazy. So yeah, so our our brains basically, as we put in the alcohol into our system, it's trying to, it creates like a new norm, in essence, like mm -hmm. excitable energy. And so when we remove that, the anxiety shows up and we blame it on the fact that we, well, if I drink it, it's better because your, your brain, you created like a new, a new norm in, in essence. Oh, yeah, alcohol, exactly. Alcohol is a crazy thing. Like it just, to me, is such a baffling, like, it's a, you know, I look at it as kind of like a poison or a toxin that we choose to put into our systems and we call it normal to do. And there's just not that much normal about it if you really break it down, you know. Um, so talk to me. So you have been sober. You've now started. You So in your sobriety, you've all of a sudden jumped into this like one consuming so much information to be able to bring it to the world. But like you also have a podcast. Um, but what is your, like, what is your journey now look like in your sobriety? Like you've chosen to say, I'm, I'm going to be sober. Um, what do you do for that? Or how do you, how do you continue that? Or is it becoming an easy thing? So it's easy in the way that I don't really have massive triggers or cravings because I know that if I drink again, I'm risking my life. So because of that knowledge, I've removed alcohol as an option. So that makes it easier. But I had a lot of difficulty with emotions, which is something that I didn't expect. I didn't think that I drank to numb out. I thought that I drank because I liked the taste and I liked the party. And even if the party was just me yeah. and <laughs> all of that. But once I stopped drinking, I was so angry and that's been my biggest struggle. And I've been working with a therapist for the past year. And 
huge difference there. I used to be overcome with rage and like not able to do anything else for my life because it was so strong. And now it's like a slow burning anger when it happens, but no, like you wouldn't know. I could be angry right now and we're still having this conversation and I'm able to manage it and not let it like take over my life anymore. Um, So that was, that was very surprising, but I'm through it. (laughs) What a... What is one, I mean, anger, I think is such a huge trigger, um, yeah. for so many people, you know, like, I think it's just one of those, like you, like you just, like you said, like, we don't realize how much emotions we are covering up. Now all of a sudden we feel everything because we're not numbing it. And now that we feel it, we don't, we're like, wow, I'm an angry person or I can get angry easily. Um, what do you, what are some things that you've learned like through therapy and different things that, that work for you that have helped work you through your anger? Cause I think that's such a huge thing for people. So I connected it. Well, my therapist, I didn't, my therapist. Yeah. That's what I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I believe in therapists. I'm like, I always have one too. And so, yes, like let's give our therapists our credit. They teach us a lot. They know so much. Um, yeah. and they can, they can connect things that like are factual in your life, but you don't think they're related. So this was one of them. So when I was growing up, I lived at home until I was 23. And then I moved in with my fiance, now husband. So for those 23 years, I was living with my parents and my brother. And I really don't like my dad. I really, really don't. I think he's he's just a really mean person. He was psychologically and emotionally abusive to all of us. And, um, because of that, I was a very angry kid. I was a really angry teenager, especially. And I took that anger into my early twenties and I didn't connect it with when I started drinking, I stopped being angry all the time. Like I was angry on a daily basis, like every single day, just his presence would you made bo- me angry. Would you just would you kind of suppress that anger and push it down in you, or would you like lash it out at, at moments? No, I I kept it to myself, um, and you know it showed up with the thin obsession yeah. and, and like over exercising and that kind of stuff, and then you know it probably showed up with my drinking, but. Yeah, so then when I stopped drinking, like my natural state for so many years was angry. And then my natural state was like shame. Mm. And then when I came back to myself, all I knew was how to be angry. So I've had to get used to like other feelings. And I've also learned my triggers. Like my big trigger for anger is feeling like people don't respect me. and. That one really sets me off and people still do things that make me feel that way. But now I'm able to just like, I don't know, even make it funny. Like what a jerk. And my husband and I will talk trash and and like, we'll both laugh and then I move on. Well, you know, I mean, just the simple fact, like self-awareness has so much power in Mm -hmm. in itself. Like for you to be able to be self-aware enough to go, that is one of my biggest triggers is when, you know, those moments happen just being aware of it changes it you know it shifts it for you where all of a sudden 
before you would just get angry and not, you would just not know why you just be like, I'm angry and I'm mad because of that person. It's their fault. And now you get to take ownership, right? And be like, well, you know, I can control myself, but I can't control them. So. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Jill, I love our conversation. Um, how do people get more connected with you, what you're doing? How do people follow you? G- give me all the details. So if you search Sober Powered, wherever you're trying to search for something, you'll find me. Um, it's the name of my podcast, my website, my Instagram, Facebook okay. group. So just search awesome. for Sober Powered. Okay. Yeah, and I will put that in my show notes. So everybody, like, look down in the show notes, find the link, and you can follow Jill on all of her different aspects from the podcast to Instagram and everything. Before we end, I'd like to ask one question, though. Um, you know, I think you – I one, I want to recognize you. I think you have a powerful story because um, I think so often when we think of an alcoholic or someone that needs to get sober or, or abuses alcohol in some way, we, we have a tendency to think, think of the homeless man under the bridge that lost everything, right? And the reality is, is you could be the, the normal biochemist teacher, you know, person and still abuse alcohol. And I think there's so much power in people getting to hear your story because of that, because, because I think we have a tendency to want to compare ourselves to others. And if all we compare ourselves to is what we heard of as the alcoholic that our, our grandparents knew, you know, then we're always going to think we don't have a problem. But I think when people get to hear your story, they can connect to it more and go, Oh, I'm not alone. I've had those thoughts. I've wanted to moderate and I know I can't, you know, and they get to hear your story. And so thank you for sharing your story. I just want to say thank you. I think the fact that you're sharing it here and you're also sharing it with your own podcast, it means a lot. But to end it all, if you had one chance, um, the world goes quiet. Like everyone just actually stops and looks at you and listens to you. And you have one truth that you get to share with the world. What is this truth that you want everyone to know? I think the most important thing that everyone needs to know is drinking is only the surface level problem. And a lot of people who abuse alcohol are very emotionally reactive and they may be living in victim mentality like we were talking about a minute ago. And that reactiveness and explosiveness is going to trigger you forever if you don't work on it. And the ability to understand how you feel and why you feel that way and be able to pause before you have a response is going to help your sobriety so much. So just start being aware when you're blowing up and that's all you need to do. Yeah. No, I think that's huge. That's amazing. Yeah. Self-awareness and choosing to like, just pause, just the pause Mm -hmm. to be able to stop and go, how, what do I feel right now? Allows us to start digging at the root, you know, cause the root, there's always a root to, to our actions, you know, but a lot of times they're too painful or we're too unaware to, to look at them. And so, well, Jill, thank you again so much for being on the show. Um, yeah, it was an honor to get to, to chat with you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Hey you guys, I always want to challenge people uh, at the end of the show. And my challenge for you today is create some space today to be self-aware. How are you feeling? Like, 
not just the good, but like, how are you really feeling? What's going on? Uh, learning to be self-aware opens up so many doors for us that we, our unconscious mind is unaware of that. It we don't even know why we feel what we feel a lot of the times, but when we can choose to find ways to become aware, it allows the potential to heal and work through some of those issues. So challenge you today, find some space, even five minutes, just be quiet and ask yourself, how am I feeling? What do I need to know about this? What, what is the truth here? All right, you guys have a great day.